You might notice that my family is not here, and hopefully that's uh, not an, a sign of what's to come. <laughs> so they're actually traveling and or sick or over across the way. So um, <clears throat> When we talked about uh, the next round of sermons that we were going to do, uh, Matt had said that he was going to have a transition period here where, we're talking, where he's going to be talking about faith, hope, and love. And um, so I happened to be listening to a book on Greek myths. And he talked about hope. And so that there was this myth that we're going to go through. And, and, talk, and, and it really sort of cemented this idea of hope that, that I really found intriguing. Um, so that's why I chose uh, this one of the, the three that we were going to be going through. So I will say that um, the intro might be a PG-13 rating uh, for mild violence uh, as we go through Greek myths. But um, beyond that, I'm just going to pray real quick. Thanks, Lord, for this day. Thanks for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it transcends um, everything. Lord, I pray that we would learn from it today, um, that you would overcome our weaknesses and distractions. Uh, let us hear about you and, and understand what hope is. In your name, amen. Uh, hope is also a challenging topic. I think probably most things are, but it's, uh, there's so many different ways to, to approach it. John Piper has a whole series on hope. So today will be more of a, um, a survey of hope. And uh, we're going to go through, and if I start speaking way too fast, I was going to bring my phone up here, you could text me, but um, just try to like, tell me to slow down. Uh, We're going to be going through a lot of scripture too, so I tend to read scripture quickly, so I will try not to do that. Um, So we're going to be starting, kind of centering things around um, the the end of Romans 4 and the beginning of Romans 5. So I'm going to read Romans 4, 18 through 21, and then 5, 1 through 5. So in hope... He, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Then over to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That was my son, not you guys, so... (laughs) Uh, all right, so Prometheus, uh, he was one of the Greek titans, uh, so they came before the Greek gods, and he was loved by the other gods, the other um, titans in the, during that period of time. Uh, he was a, known as a great craftsman, and after a period of time, eventually the gods, uh, Zeus and those other types of gods, were born and became part of the whole Greek mythos. So Zeus and Prometheus uh, became fast friends. And Zeus was the, the king of the gods, the, most, the mightiest of the Greek gods. And he was always looking for something to do, looking for entertainment, looking to have something appease him and uh, to, enjoy, to, to cause him enjoyment. So he got bored, uh, tired of dealing with nymphs and um, titans and the other gods, and came to Prometheus and said, I have an idea. Let's create these beings out of clay. So 
Prometheus and, and Zeus found this primordial clay, this, like, this clay that has a lot of life into it. And because Prometheus was this master craftsman, he, he molded these beings. And then Athena, one of the other gods, breathed life into these beings. And so they, and they started to... It didn't work the first time, and so there's a couple different iterations of things going. And then they, they kind of refined the process, and they created man in these gods' image. But they didn't have that much power. Uh, and Prometheus, the more time he spent with these people, he fell in love with them more and more. He wanted to spend more and more time with them. So he didn't spend time in Olympus anymore, where the other gods were and the titans were. And he spent time with man. One of Zeus's uh, biggest commands was that man could not have fire. Because he knew that if man had fire, that he would excel and he would grow. So, as Prometheus spent more and more time with man, he knew that man could be better than he was right now. So, he went and he stole fire from the gods and he came down and brought it to man. And man, as soon as he got this fire, that mankind flourished with the fire. They were able to create trade, create transportation, create cities, and man just expanded and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. So Zeus was off doing his thing, and he got bored, and he came back to see humans again. And then he saw when he came back that mankind has excelled and, 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 and was much different than he'd seen before, and that they had fire, and he was furious. And he found out that Prometheus was the one that gave him fire, and he was heartbroken. So he marched Prometheus to this mountain, chained him to a mountain. And his, his punishment was that these two vultures, every day, would come down, rip open Prometheus' stomach, and eat his liver out of his body. And because he was a titan, his liver would go back overnight, and his stomach would mend, and the same thing would happen the next day. And every day it would be more and more painful. And Prometheus looked to Zeus, and Zeus was expecting Prometheus to beg for mercy, to, 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 to be terrified. But he was, had this calmness about him because he knew that he had started something great. He knew that he had started mankind and that mankind could do great things. He knew that he had set something in place, set something going, that there would be improvement and things would be getting better and better and better. There would be a progress because of the, his creation these people that he created. So he had hope in mankind. This God had hope in mankind. And that's, so we're going to go through three types of hopes, three types of ideas of hope as we, as we talk today. And that's the first type of hope that we're going to talk about. This earthly hope, this non-Christian, non-biblically centered hope is this idea that, man, that we have hope in mankind, that mankind collectively pulled together will be able to overcome good things, that like we're going to progress, we're going to improve, we're going to overcome racism, we're going to overcome poverty, we're going to overcome famine, we're going to overcome all these different kinds of things, we're going to overcome diseases and viruses, and we're going to get better and expand our living. That, that's, that's this idea, especially nowadays, like during Advent, we have this idea of you know, peace on earth and goodwill to men. We know that things are going to improve, or that there's this idea that it's going to improve. And there's this quote by Socrates that kind of sums it up. The perfect human being is all human beings put together. It's a collective. It is all of us together that make perfection. So this is, there is this idea that we are perfection, that we will collectively be able to pull something together. So that's one kind of hope, this earthly hope. And we're going to bookend it with a, the idea of biblical hope. But to get there, we're going to talk about our everyday hope. So we use hope all the time, uh, every day. So I hope that... The roads aren't too bad. I hope that my 
brakes are going to work or the, you know, the tires have enough tread on it that I'm not going to slide off the road as I drive to church this morning. I hope the Patriots are going to win. You know, so we use a hope in all those types of ways, which is a completely normal way of doing things. You know, it's, it's really expressing our hearts, our dreams, our desires. So we use it like colloquially, right? just that normal, everyday conversation that we use it all the time. And like I said, it is, that's a normal conversation. That's a normal way of doing things. It's not necessarily wrong. But one of the things we want to do when we talk about hope that way is that uh, <clears throat> we need to qualify it. As Christians, we need to qualify that type of hope. So in, in Romans 15.24, Paul says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Right? So he's using hope. He doesn't know necessarily that he's going to make it to Spain, but he's using it in that way. And then a few verses later he says, so that by God's will I may come to you. Right? He qualifies it, so that by God's will I may come to you. And later in 1 Corinthians 16.7, he says, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Right? He, he's qualified that hope, if the Lord wills, if the Lord permits. He wants it to happen. He doesn't know it's going to happen. And in fact, in, in Corinthians, it didn't happen the way he wanted it to. And then he had to spend some time in the second book of Corinthians explaining why he couldn't get there and the reasons for that. So we have this, this second hope. And, and that's the issue with, with talking about hope is there's so much to talk about there, but we're just going to breeze through those to talk about um, biblical hope. And when I say biblical hope, I'm not saying that the other hope that we talked about, just talked about, is unbiblical, but I'm talking about that capital H hope, the faith, hope, and love hope. That's the hope we're going to be talking about. And Romans 4.18 offers a great segue to get us from the, that colloquial everyday hope to the capital H hope that we're going to be talking about. So uh, Abraham had hope against hope. So... <clears throat> So when we look at the end of that, that section, Abraham was old. Right? He was 100 years old and as good as dead. And his wife was barren. He wanted a kid. He wanted to have offspring. He wanted to carry his line on. And the Lord said that was going to happen. So his hope was that this was going to happen. But as time was going on, he was realizing that this is unlikely. My wife, we've been trying. My wife isn't having kids. She hasn't been able to have a kid yet. I'm old it's unlikely that I'm going to have a kid. So his hope, his normal colloquial hope, was diminishing. But he had a hope against hope. So this other hope, right? if we look at uh, verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. His hope was what God's promise was going to, that God's promise was going to supersede his natural hope. So he knew that because God said that's, that he would have a line, that it was going to happen. So he had this hope against hope. So what is this hope against hope that he's having? Um, he, so what did he do? He didn't let his unbelief, or the NIV calls it trust, he didn't let his unbelief or trust waver in his hope. He grew strong in his faith. He had conviction of the unseen, right? So that, that definition of, of faith in Hebrews 11, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. So he grew strong in his faith. And it's interesting that a quarter of Hebrews 11 is about Abraham's faith and, what he lo- and how he believed in God's word. Right? And <clears throat> so he was convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So he was convinced in the now that God was able to do what God had promised in the future. And that's what hope is doing. It's looking to the future. This is pretty exciting stuff that we, that we think about, right? right? Abraham had this strong inner resolve. He looked to God and he hung on to the Lord. He said, Lord, you said this to me. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to get it. It's mine. 
He knew it was going to happen because his resolve aligned with the Lord's resolve. That's what's going on here, right? No, that's not what's going on here. What's happening is, it's, it's like Matt said last week, the intensity our, it's not the intensity of our faith that matters, it's who our faith is in. The same thing is true for hope. It's not the intensity of our hope, it's not the alignment of our hope, it's who our hope is in. God was able to do what he had promised. He knew that God was going to, have his, that God was going to fulfill his word. So how do we resonate with this? It's not sinful to want to have kids. Um, but when we get to that point, we know it's not likely that something that we're hoping for is not going to happen. I mean, it's not sinful to try really hard at a sport and to hope that your team's going to win and prepare for it, or it's sinful to, to, to decide you're going to do some sort of career and work at it and not succeed. So how do we react and how do we respond? So that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time discussing is this deeper, biblical, anchored in the word promise of promise of the Lord and how Abraham believed in that and how that can be an example for us. So we're going to go through um, sort of a, a bunch of verses here just talking about hope, and this isn't exhaustive. So what is hope? So hope is something, most of these are on the back of the, uh, the bulletin, so hope is in something. The Christian hope is in God. Acts twenty four fifteen, Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So they had a hope in God. Romans 5, 2. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Our hope is in God. This hope that we have is in God. This hope is alive. It's active. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right. It's alive and it can't die anymore. So our hope, this hope is alive. It's amplified through suffering and endurance. Romans 4, 5, 4, and 5. Endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. As we go through these things, as our hope is tested, we see our hope grows. It's forward-looking and it's big. Hope extends from creation to the second coming of Christ. It extends through the warp and woof of history, for the ebbs and flows of the nations and all those things that have happened. Hope started back in, back in Genesis and it ends in Revelation. Romans 8.20 For the creation was subject, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And then we also see that in Christ we have hope, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Our hope is greater than us. It's outside of us. It's big and it's anchored to everything that's going on, all that, that, that history. Hope is part of the great triad, 1 Corinthians 13.3. So now we have faith, hope, and love. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. It's unshakable and communal. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. It allows us to be bold, 2 Corinthians 3.12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. It's rich. To them, God's chose to make them known among how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is in Christ in you, the hope of the glory. It protects us. 
1 Corinthians 5.8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So faith and love protect our heart, our lungs, all our vital organs in this area here, and hope is our helmet of salvation. So it protects the vital areas of us. So it's, it protects us. And it's a gift. Second Thessalonians 2.16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, the God, and, God, and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Right, so we have, been, have, we have eternal comfort and good hope through grace. And grace is God's unmerited favor, receiving something that we don't deserve. So it's a gift from God. And this is all, all this hope that he has given us, this definition of hope, is all for the glory of God. So now as we kind of have this idea of the hope that we're talking about, Romans 5, 1, Romans 5, 1 through t- the first part of 2, uh, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So only believers can receive this type of hope. This hope is only accessible, only real to believers. <clears throat> We're talking about people who have been justified, those, of, those who have peace with God, that our relationship with God has been fixed, it's been resolved. We were now enemies. We were enemies, but now, through God, the gracious work of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've been reconciled and have peace with God and are able to stand under the grace of God, not under the wrath of God as convicted sinners. So this is who this idea of hope is, is pointed to, are, the, are, are the, those of us who have been justified, who've been made right. And if you're here and you're not a believer, I would encourage you to think on these things. Think about the hope you have and think about its source, whether it can really give you what you desire and whether it is giving you what you desire and what happens when you don't get what you desire, or you don't get what you hope for. What is your reaction? How do you handle that? And I pray that as you hear God's word about hope, that it'll make you want to know more about it. And if you do, there are plenty of people here that want to talk to you about it. So this hope is for believers. And as we go to the end of verse 2, it concludes with, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Or we boast, that word rejoice can be used, also known as, can be used as boast. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. So the end of hope, the purpose of hope, is the glory of God. God has designed us. The first question of the Westminster Confession of Faith is, what is the chief end of man? The man, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. All right, John Piper you know, says we are most, <clears throat> uh, what's the word, how does it go? We are most satisfied when we are glorifying God. That's what we're intended to do. Our job is to, to love the Lord, to reflect his glory. And when we have hope, and, what, and when we have hope in what God has given us, then we are doing what God has designed us to do, reflecting his glory. That's the, the source and the end, E-N-D, of hope. But the, Romans Christian, the Roman Christians weren't seeing this. And we don't necessarily see this glory of God right now. Right? We have to live life. The Romans had to live life. Uh, they had to deal with work, deal with kids, manage finances. Same with us. All these things are going on. These sicknesses. The Roman, the Roman Christians were also dealing with growing hostility in Rome between the Jews and between the Romans. And just a few years beyond when they start probably reading this, 
Nero comes to power and starts to persecute them in some of the most hideous tortures that have gone on in, in the Christian history. They couldn't see the glory of God. They couldn't see the Lord Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God. But Paul is telling them and us to look forward and to be expectant and to rejoice that the Lord's work will be glorified. And Paul doesn't stop there. So he kind of doubles back on talking about hope. So he talks about, for this is the hope of the glory of God. And then the next couple of verses, he says, uh, not only that, but we rejoice or boast in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So now he's talking about the glory of God, and all of a sudden now he's talking about suffering, endurance, character building. When you hear those things, that's not a good feeling, right? Like when we hear, oh, it's a character building time, that's not like we're, we're excited about that. We know that it's going to be hard. We know it's going to be challenging. So <clears throat> really what's happening here is we're waiting on the Lord. We are, there's looking to something that's going to happen, and we're waiting for it to happen. And this is what happens while we're waiting. And Psalm 42 sums up what this idea of waiting is like. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the idea of hoping. Right? This is the idea of, of hope because something is going to happen. But in the interim, when, where we're at right now, when you're going through this suffering, we don't know what the end is going to look like. We don't know how it's going to be worked out. Right? We're panting like the deer, the deer in the wilderness, probably no shade, the sun beating down, very little water. We're panting for that. We're waiting. It's, it's not a pleasant time. So this is an active waiting that we're doing. We're not just sitting there, sitting on a park bench, just waiting for the bus to come. Like we're, we're doing something while we're waiting. The, the word endure is we persevere or we have this patient frame of mind. In 1 Thessalonians 1.3, it's, it, it's, it's, it's described as a steadfastness of hope. So that's enduring. We have a steadfastness of hope, that, can, that steadiness, that steady day in, day out, waiting, doing the right, like just waiting. We know that it's going to happen. It's like being in a long race. And I'm sorry, there's a lot of sports analogies. Um, we know the end is going to come. Right? We know that at some point we'll be able to rest our muscles, we'll be able to catch our breath back. But we're enduring during the race. We're enduring that pain. We're enduring that discomfort. The same thing with, with having little kids. Right? We endure. Part of raising young kids is just a matter of endurance. Right? So they're messy, they're dirty. Like there's, it's, there are great times, but there's also hard times. So that's an endurance. We know there's going to be an end. We don't necessarily know when the end's going to come, but we know there's an end. <clears throat> so that's, that's the idea of endurance that's going on. So we're waiting, but we're doing things. And also produces character. And the idea of character is it's been proven by trial. So you've been tested and you've shown that it's true, that, that, that what your, your character is, is right. And Second Corinthians 8, 1 and 2 has this great idea of, of this character. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. 
For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. This is how the Corinthians or the, the, church, the Macedonian church showed their character. In a severe test of affliction, they had abundant joy. They had extreme poverty. Their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That was their character. When they went through that hard time of poverty, when they went through that hard time of affliction, what was the fruit that they bore? It was joy, giving, over generosity. That's, that's what this character that is developed as we suffer, we endure, and we, we build character, and then we rejoice, we produce this hope. This is, this is the, the, it's a feedback loop. And we have to be careful. And I think this is, when we have these, these chains in the Bible, we want to think that, especially as Americans, it's this linear chain. Right? We, we, we do the suffering, we do the enduring, we do the character building, and we have the hope. But that's, it's not steps. The Bible doesn't, just because it, it has this chain, it's not steps. It's we endure, we suffer, we endure, we build character, and then we screw up. We get mad. Right? We, we look to sin to relieve us of what we're, what's going on in our hearts and what's going on in our lives. And, but that doesn't mean that we have short-circuited the process. Right? We go back into the process. We believe the, what the word is saying. So we go back and we endure. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for help. We go back in and we suffer. We go back to the situation that we're suffering that we might have run away from. So just because when we're going through these times and you say, oh, I blew it. God's not going to give me hope anymore because I didn't suffer. I didn't endure. I went in and did this. I sinned. I, I you know, quit my job instead of dealing with the situation. Whatever it is, right? That, we didn't short-circuit God's plan. And God is going to work through us. And we need to go back and believe it and go back and endure and go back and build character and go back and suffer. Right? And, and we will that will produce hope. And it is producing hope. If you're a believer right now, that is what is happening. Regardless of where you are in that situation, whether if you're trying to run away from those things or you're enduring through those, that is, that is where we are at. And it's a good word. <clears throat> so, the Lord calls us to rejoice or boast in our suffering. So we're at, the end, at the end here, we're waiting we're suffering, we're enduring, we're building character, we're discouraged, we're downcast, we're saying, where are you, Lord? You know, our non-Christian friends are saying, where's your God now? Right? Like, you know, we're sitting here and we look foolish sometimes when we're waiting on the Lord. We, God isn't helping us the way we expected him to help us. So we have to qualify, we can't just stop there, and we have to go into the next line. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we went through that definition of hope, it pointed to the glory of God, God being glorified. So that chain of what we were going through is pointed to the hope not putting us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit. So God's love has been poured into our hearts, not just sprinkled, not just, you know, the water hitting off the side, but it's been poured to us. It's overflowing. Splash. Thank you. And it's abundant. It's more than we think we need. It fills everything. 
And God always has those great analogies when he talks about his heart and he talks about his love is that abundance, that overflowingness. So when we think about God's love, so this is God's love that's been poured into our hearts. Micah 7, 8. Who is a God like you, parting iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast hope. So he, this, this God, this God that loves us, he pardons our iniquity, pardons our sins, passes over our transgress, transgressions for his remnant, for us, we're his remnant. He does not retain his anger, but he delights in steadfast love. Again, that's the idea of that steadfast love. A lot of times when you see steadfast love in the Bible, it's the hesed love, that covenantal love, that redemptive love, the plan of love starting in Genesis and going to Revelation, that he, is, he, is, he loves us and he is committed and he is covenantally connected to us. Right? That is God's love, that he is not going to let us go. Romans 8.31, what, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with him graciously give how will he not also give up with him graciously give us all things? Right? That's the love that God has for us. That's the love that's being poured into our hearts. That he gave his son Jesus, who did not sin, for people like us who sin all the time. I mean, you think of the things that we do, and you think of who Jesus was and the life that he lived, and God loved us so much that he let his son die for us. So that's the love that he's pouring into us as we're going through this chain of suffering, enduring, building character, and producing hope, that that love is being poured into us. And how is it being poured into us? That love's poured into our hearts by the Spirit. This is, this is, I love this passage. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we pray for. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit knows us better than we do. We, we don't understand why we do the things. We don't understand what is going on in us. We don't understand where the anger comes from, where the discontent comes from. We don't understand why we do a lot of the things that we do. But the Spirit knows. The Spirit knows when we ask for forgiveness of sins, to God and we list sins to God, he knows that they're probably way more grievous than what we're confessing. Right? And he groans deeper than that. He knows he goes down to the heart or to the core of it. He knows exactly what our weaknesses are. So when we're praying for help to not lust or to not gossip or to not lie, he's, he's taking those words and he's saying, it's not really lust this person is dealing with. It's not really lying and dishonesty this person is dealing with. It's something else. And the Spirit is doing that, particularly for us, for each one of us. When we're praying, when we're living, this Spirit knows us uniquely and deeply and intimately. And that's what he's doing for us. So this is the hope that we have. So this love of God that's poured into our heart by the Spirit it's, it's, it's a draft that soothes any hurts or aches. It's the perfect elixir. It's the antidote to any disease that we have in our lives. And it's designed, just like they designed the, 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 um, the, flu, vi- the flu vaccines and all the other vaccines to try to, to try to stop these things, this is perfectly designed to meet us where we're at. It's perfectly designed to, to deal with our hurt, to deal with our uniqueness. We're each unique in our hurts. We're each unique in our sins. And the Spirit and His love 
and God's love is designed particularly to meet those needs, to meet those hurts. Even if it doesn't feel like it. So we think we know what God wants us to do. We think we know how God needs to answer our prayers. We think we know what our hope is in. But it's not. We don't get the job. We don't have kids. We don't, our kids don't end up, our kids don't walk with the Lord. Our, our parent dies before they get to know the Lord. We want those things. Those are good things. But they don't happen. But that doesn't negate the fact that God's love is poured into our hearts and the Spirit is, is doing that pouring. So we know that there's something greater out there. So as we go, so because of these things, we can preach to ourselves and to our brothers and sisters that the words from uh, Philippians uh, 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Right? We can preach that to ourselves because of this. Right? We can know that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. We have that hope. We have that truth. We can remember that as we go through those times. And this is what this active waiting is as we go through this. Like Matt was talking about last week, it's sitting on the bench with a friend. It's not just walking past the bench saying hi. It's actually sitting down next to that friend on the bench and getting to know him. Right? We are, as we go, this active waiting, we're sitting down on the bench and getting to know Jesus. We're reading his word. We're praying to Jesus. We are looking at what the Bible calls us to do. And we're doing it. We're taking those steps. And that's what we do while we wait, while we're hoping. So, and as I said before, as we wait through this suffering, as we endure and build character, our deficiencies are exposed. And that's why we need to be careful with hope, because we're just, our, our hearts are deceptive above all things. In the book Matt gave uh, Scott and I last week, uh, there has a, one of the lines in, on the on the on hope was, uh, hope needs to build on a salvation experienced in the past and present to have the right viewpoint on the unknown designs of God for the future. If you're like me, when you hear unknown designs, you know, that does not make you feel good. Right? So our hope is grounded on what the Lord has done for us and what the Lord is doing for us, the past and the present. So we need to have those shibboleths in our lives, those, those things that have happened, those good things that have happened, or good things that we've seen have happened, that the Lord has saved this person, uh, that you never thought would be saved. I have a uh, girl I knew in high school. I, I didn't think she was going to become a believer, and she did. And then she's, she's still growing, and she's, you know, it's, it's encouraging. So it's, I know the Lord can change people's hearts. We, like, if, when you overcome certain sins, certain challenges in your lives, those are things we need to remember. So, but we also just need to remember not just the big things, but just the daily meeting of the Lord. The daily, a couple of weeks ago we had um, people mentioning that I read this word and then two days later somebody else said it. Or, uh, or we happened to, be preached, it happened to be preached on this thing or mentioned this thing or this song was, in my, was, was on my mind and I was singing it and then we sang it that next Sunday. Right? Those, are, those are those things we hold on to. Like we, those are good things and those are God's way of saying he is with us right now. So we know what's true, and not just the experiences, but we also have the word that we know that's true. So we hold on to these things. <clears throat> and we use those things to help us look to the future. 
to know that God is going to work his way, God is going to work his plan out somehow. We don't know how, but we have to know that. But, and that's, that's really hard. So <clears throat> one of the things you, probably, you can do this afternoon is, is go through the Bible and, and, and think about who are you as a Christian? Who are you? Are you saved by God or your own efforts? Ask yourself, like, what, how, what am I looking at when I get discouraged by hope, when I get angry because something didn't happen the way I wanted it to? What, work, work yourself, take some time and work through those things because that will expose some of, the ideas where, some of those areas where you have hope. Do you get your, the value and will to live from the word of the Lord or from your marriage? from the work of Jesus and the belief that he is currently reigning in glory or from the size of your bank account, from the love of your kids and their joy? Where do you get that hope? What's going on in your hearts that's causing you to have this, this angst, this frustration that's going on? Right? Your hope is only as good as what it's in. And that's as we, as we part, go through that sanctification process, growing in the Lord, we true up what hope is. We true up what we're putting our hope in and what we're not putting our hope in. It's that idea of sanctification that's kind of becoming more and more holy, that growth that goes on. So this misplaced hope that we have, it exposes our idols. So when we get angry, when we get frustrated at something that's not going to happen, why are we getting angry? Why are we getting anxious? Why are we turning to alcohol? Why are we turning to TV or our phones to relieve us of this? What's happening there? So our hope is, we need to, I, to challenge what our hope is in. It also exposes our heresies. So we all have heresies. There's, there's a little lower H, lowercase h, not uppercase. So things that we think we believe, and they're not really true. One was at a campus pastor, and he said that he was learning. He'd learn, he'd, he'd be, a new heresy would be exposed to him every year that he would believe. So you know it might be... Name it and claim it. I'm not going to get into them, but there's different heresies. Things that you believe, things that you think that are true, and then you find out that the Lord's failed you. Right? You say, God, you failed me. You said this is true. Well, then you've got to grapple with that because God is going to do what's good and God's going to do what's true. So it requires us to get into the Word. It requires us to say, I thought you said this in this verse, God, but this didn't happen. Right? My parent died. I'm angry that my parent died and didn't know the Lord. I'm angry that my daughter, who I you know was raised in, in in the church and raised in a Christian school, doesn't know the Lord. Right? You said that I prayed. And if I pray and I believe, you're going to do it. Right? Like, what what's going on in this situation? So, we need to work through those things, and we need to grapple with them. We can't just turn our head to them and walk the other direction because it's always going to be there, and it affects us in a bunch of different ways. So we started the story, we started this with the story of Prometheus, right, who was suffering through terrible daily torture, and he endured because he had hope in mankind. And ironically, or maybe unironically, he was, he was eventually saved by a man. Uh, so contrast that with the birth of Christ. So Christ came into the world in the most inauspicious circumstances. You just think of, of the Greek gods, the Greek titans, and they're beautiful and they're powerful and they can do whatever they want and they're, you know, they, they have, they almost, um, they're, they're the carpe diem of, you know, the quintessential carpe diem. Uh, you think of Christ and his being born in a manger um, in some, you know, 
poor, it's, it's poor setting. God knew that man was ultimately hopeless. Behind the veneer of progress and possibility, he knew and knows of the brokenness and darkness of humanity. Beyond the glitter and gold of the Roman emperor, empire, he, knows of the dirty, he knew of the dirty alleys, the broken families, the slavery, the abuse, the genocide, the neglect, the hidden family secrets that are going on then and now. That's why he sent his son, because man wasn't, there was, we were lacking in hope. Humanity wasn't just progressing in good. The same Romans that figured out how to get running water were also the same ones that didn't just kill, but made killing last days. The God of heaven knew that man continually devolves into a narcissistic, self-honoring world. Without something greater or better, we can't see anything other than ourselves. And we're not designed to see anything other than ourselves. We're not designed to see only ourselves. He saw that mankind needed hope. And the only hope that was sufficient was one where there was hope in something better, something outside of us, and that's in God. Our hope is only good, as good as what it's in. And that hope is something that will be seen and something that we're going to see. It's a living man. That hope is personified in Jesus Christ. So we can only truly hope in something that is secure, guaranteed, and real. Otherwise, it's just wishing, dreaming, and hoping. Like John Rockefeller and Tom Brady said, how much money or Super Bowls does it take to make a man happy? Just one more, right? There's, that's, that's human hope. So Jesus was born and lived in this earth, and he came so that we can have true hope. And the end of Hebrews 2 is one of my favorite passages, and it really talks about hope personified, the hope that we can believe in, that literal anchored hope. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subjected to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham and us who are grafted into the line of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's our hope, right? that we have this brother who led the way for us and went through these experiences for us, and to know that he is going to be there with us, he's going to be there by our side, always helping us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your spirit and that he intervenes for us and he speaks for us and he edits our prayers and our needs. And he, um, we thank you that we can believe in your word and believe in the truth of your word. Lord, we pray that you would let us understand what hope is and to challenge what we hope in. Lord, I pray that you would use this time and this season to sanctify us in our thoughts and our actions. In your name, amen.